0: Welcome to Riverside. So glad you guys are here today and you're in the house today. I know we have many who are joining us for Church Online. So thank you to all of you who are joining us that way today. As we continue this new year together each week through the month of January, we want to we begin each week with these words that remind us of who we are as a church And why we are here. So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, you've you've read these words aloud with us. If it's your first Sunday here, it's okay. You can jump right in today. I want to put these words on the screen. If you're watching at home, feel free to, to read along. But all of us in the room, if you would, let's read these words out loud together this morning as we begin. We are the body of Christ, called to live different, to invite people to come together, invest in each other, And engage in what matters most because of Jesus. This morning, what I want us to think about and lean into is this this idea of making an eternal investment in the life of another person. What does that mean? What does that look like to make an eternal investment in the life of another person? Who are you investing in? Who is it that you're pouring your life into, that you've taken under your wing, that you take time to to be with, to talk with, to encourage? And who is it that you are allowing to speak into your life? Who have you given permission to speak into your life? Who are you allowing to invest in you? It, It may be helpful to think about it in these terms. What's the best investment you've ever made? What's the best investment you've ever made? I love the story of a lady by the name of Grace Groener. You may or may not know that name. Uh, In 1935, this is around the time of the Great Depression, she was just starting out looking for her first job, and and life had not been easy for her. Uh, From an early age, she was orphaned and taken in by neighbors who generously and graciously (laughs) raised her. She went to Lake Forest University, where she lived in Lake Forest, Illinois, and once she graduated, she's looking for her first job, and jobs aren't easy to find, but she found a job working for a company called Abbott Pharmaceuticals. And she was a secretary for this company. And in, in, in the first year of her work there, she's 25 years old. It's 1935. She's not really sure what's, what's, what, what she's doing. But she decides to go ahead and buy three shares of stock in this company she works for, each costing $60. So she owns three shares of stock for a total investment of $180. She continues to work for Abbott Pharmaceuticals her entire career, some 43 years Never once did she touch that investment. Over time, of course, it grew, it split, those shares became larger and became more until she died some 75 years later at the age of 100 in 2010. And when she died, she owned 100,000 shares of stock in Abbott Pharmaceuticals. Some of you are thinking, I need to invest somewhere in something today, right? She died a millionaire. What's interesting, though, is that most people didn't even know that. She she lived a very quiet life. You might say a humble life. She lived her entire life in a one-bedroom cottage right there in Lake Forest, Illinois. She never owned a car. She walked everywhere she went. She shopped at yard sales. She didn't have any children. But she was beloved by coworkers and friends. But at a very pivotal moment, she made a timely investment, right? And even though this woman was, was born in complete poverty, she died a millionaire. What's the best investment you've ever made? Some of you, if you were to answer that question, you might could answer that in financial terms, right? You may could share a story, maybe a story similar to Grace's, where at just the right time, you made a really key investment and that became really profitable for you. And if that's you, come see me and you can take me to lunch and tell me all about it. But for a lot of you, you may answer that question in a different way. All of us, even those of us who aren't savvy investors, we understand the principle of making wise investments. But if you asked us, what's the best investment you ever made? We may not answer that question in financial terms. We may think about that question in in terms of, of a personal investment. And you might could share a story about a personal investment you made in the life of someone else. But chances are what you might share you might share a story about someone else who at just the right time made a personal investment in you. And I don't know about you, but I've got a, I got a list of people that when I think about my life and my journey and where I am today, like I would not be where I am today had God not put them in my life at just the right time. And they came along and at just the right time, they made a personal investment And I will be eternally grateful to those people. People that knew the power of making a personal investment in the life of someone else. This weekend, we're going to celebrate the life, the legacy, the ministry of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I love these words that he once wrote in his book, Strength to Love. He writes, We have bowed before the God of money only to learn that there are such things as love and friendship that money cannot buy. And that in a world of possible depressions, stock market crashes, and bad business investments, money is a rather uncertain deity. These transitory gods are not able to save us or bring us happiness to the human heart. Only God is able. It is faith in Him that we must rediscover love and friendship, love and friendship. These are the kinds of investments that, that leave a, an eternal impact, right? And Jesus, Jesus was, he was famous for making these kinds of investments in the lives of other people. In fact, he was famous for making unlikely investments and unlikely people at very unlikely times. And this morning, what I want us to do is just look at one story where Jesus did this. If you have your Bible or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, let me encourage you to open up to John chapter 4. John tells us a story that nobody else tells us about a moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus where he found a person, an unlikely person, to make an unlikely investment at the most unlikely time, and it changed everything for them. If you have your, your Bible or your text there, John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. The story goes like this. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing, And making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So Jesus is now on a journey going from Judea to Galilee. Verse 4 says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now the truth is, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. In order to get from Judea to Galilee, you could go through Samaria, but you didn't have to. In fact, a lot of Jews, when they made this trip, and they made this trip often, they would choose not to go through Samaria. It was the fastest route. But most Jews wouldn't be caught dead in Samaria. That's how much Jews hated Samaritans. And oh, by the way, how much Samaritans hated Jews. And so so what they would do, instead of going down through Samaria, if they're going from Judea to Galilee, that's actually going north, uh, what would happen is they would just go east and they would cross the Jordan River and make the journey there. It was inconvenient. It was out of the way. It was longer. But many Jews, most Jews, would rather do that than actually take the trip and go through Samaria. Geographically speaking, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, so why did John say he had to? Maybe he had to for a different reason. Verse 5, John says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Well now, now we get to the real reason that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. It wasn't because he was in a hurry to get from Judea down to Galilee. It, there was another reason at play. Jesus was on his way to a divine appointment. He wanted to go through Samaria because he wanted to meet this woman at this well in this, outside this village of Sychar in Samaria. There was someone there that he wanted to talk to and spend time with. And there's a lot to reflect on in this story, and I would encourage you later today or later this week to sit down with this story and really see what the Spirit of God would open your heart, your life, your eyes to see, to hear, to understand. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. The way a lot of us make decisions... We make decisions about what we have to do because of it's either what we want to do or what has to get to the next because it's urgent. We make decisions about what we have to do because it's what other people expect of us or it's, it's because it's what's most efficient or fastest or whatever. But that's not the way Jesus makes decisions, right? Jesus makes decisions based on mission. And he's here in Samaria in the middle of the heat, in the middle of the day, because he's in the middle of a mission this woman comes at noon to draw water and i'm sure as she was approaching the well she saw jesus but never in her wildest imagination did she think that jesus would see her i mean he might actually see her But she didn't think in a million years that that they would ever have a conversation, that they would have any interaction. After all, these are the facts. She's a woman. She's not just a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a man. He's a Jewish man. Not only that, he's a rabbi. These two, honestly, they should never be seen alone together, much less have a conversation together. But what John gives us here is one of the longest conversations Jesus has with anybody ever. Ever. Tradition frowned upon it. Cultural norms said this shouldn't happen. But Jesus initiates a conversation. Verse 7, John writes, Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. I can just hear the kindness in his voice in that request. The woman was surprised for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. You can get an insight into the, the disdain they had for each other there. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if if you only knew, like if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking with, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She didn't understand. But sir, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. And this well, this well, it's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus is kind of thinking inside, yep. (laughs) How can you offer better water? How could you possibly offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? I can just see Jesus smiling. And he says to her, Anyone anyone who drinks this water out of this well, they will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give, they will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Well, the woman couldn't believe this. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. That sounds amazing. Can I please have this water?" Jesus says, "Well, go and get your husband. I, uh, I don't have a husband." Jesus said, "You're right. You, you don't have a husband for you, you've had five husbands in, and, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And now we begin to understand what Jesus already knew. This woman had come to the well at noon. Everybody else, they come to the well in the morning when it's cool outside, when it's not too hot yet. But she knows that, and she doesn't necessarily want to be there when everybody else is there. So she comes in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat, when no one else will be there to get her water. Why? I don't know for sure, but... I imagine there's a sense in which this woman is ashamed of herself. But Jesus is not ashamed of her. Jesus meets her right where she is, as she is in her aloneness. Everybody else back in town, they're done with this woman. They don't want want to have anything to do with this woman, but Jesus, what does Jesus decide to do? He decides to give her his time. This woman who everybody else, when they see her, they, they think this is, this is someone who people take things from. When men see her, they want to use her and take something from her. They, when they see her, when the people back in town see her, they see someone who, who has very little value, who is, who is worthless. Someone who certainly isn't a good investment. But what does Jesus see? Jesus sees someone who is a person of incredible value, a person of immeasurable worth, someone that he sees as a good investment someone that he wants to invest in and i'll be really honest if i'm being really honest and you can you can see how you would think about this but the people that i choose to invest in they tend to be the people that i see as good investments I tend to invest in people that I see as highly valuable. I I tend to invest in people that I love. I tend to invest in people that if I'm really brutally honest, I think they can help me. I think they can benefit me. I tend to invest in people who I think are good investments. Jesus sees this woman and he sees every person as a person of immeasurable worth, highly valued, Someone who is a good investment. And he continues to talk with her and have a conversation with her. And pretty soon she figures out, this man, he's he's more than just a rabbi. He's more than just a teacher. He's got to at least be a prophet. And this prompts her to, to ask him all sorts of questions. And what I love about the conversation, if you read it, is Jesus, he doesn't minimize her questions He doesn't patronize her to to sort of, you know, get on with it so we can get back on the road to his trip down to Galilee. No, he takes time to have this conversation, this long conversation with this person he should never have a conversation with. And And it leads her to say this in verse 25. She says to Jesus, I know. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And when Jesus heard her say this, he told her, I, I am the Messiah. Jesus came all the way through Samaria on his way to Galilee to make this divine appointment to tell this Samaritan woman of questionable reputation something that very few people on the entire planet knew at this point. That God's Messiah had come, and that he was God's Messiah, the Savior of the world. She's the recipient of this good news that very few people even knew at this point. Verse 27, the very next verse, John writes, Just then, his disciples came back. And here it is again. They were shocked. To find him talking to a woman, which again, to be honest, they should have been right for all the reasons we talked about earlier. They should have been shocked to see their, their rabbi, their teacher, the one that they've chosen to follow, speaking to a Samaritan woman of questionable reputation. This was a shocking revelation to see this conversation happening. But on the other hand, they really shouldn't have been shocked, right? I mean, these disciples were also unlikely people that Jesus chose at an unlikely time to come and follow him and to be his disciples. He chose to make an unlikely investment in in this group of ragtag disciples that he had assembled. And they were made up of people like fishermen, and one was a tax collector, and one was a zealot. And the only reason they had these jobs, these professions, is because when they were younger, they were passed over by the rabbis in their local hometowns. Other guys were chosen. They weren't. (laughs) And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I want you, and I want you, and I want you to come and follow me. Every one of them, unlikely people, Jesus chose at an unlikely time to make an unlikely investment. Jesus knew the power of making a a personal investment in people. And he knew the eternal impact it could have. Which brings me back to this question, like who, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, who are you investing in? Who is it that you've decided? And it, and it may be someone that, that everyone would agree is a good investment. and may be someone that people say, eh, I'm not so sure. But you've decided because of your calling as a follower of Jesus, hey, I'm going to make a personal, relational, time commitment investment in this person. Who is it that you've decided? And who is it at the same time you've allowed to be that for you, that you've allowed to speak into your life? That you've, uh, you've given permission to help you grow and become who it is God wants you to become. Uh, in 1935, when Grace Groner made that initial investment of $180, she was 25 years old. 75 years later, she dies when she's 100 years old. The year is 2010. She had 100,000 shares of Abbott Pharmaceutical stock. And I didn't tell you this part. At this point it's worth 7.2 million dollars. She left all that money to Lake Forest University where she had gone to help other students just like her who needed a helping hand. What's interesting, what's so interesting about it, it, it was only after her death that she became known as a millionaire. In fact, She's called a secret millionaire because no one knew it when she was alive. When she was alive, she was known known differently. One of her friends who also served as her attorney was a man by the name of William Marlett, and I want you to hear what he once said about her. He was asked about grace, and this is what he said about grace. He said, she did not have the needs that other people have. She could have lived in any house in Lake Forest, but she chose not to. She enjoyed other people. And every friend she had was a friend for who she was. Sounds to me like Grace also knew something about investing in people. She understood what Jesus understood, what Jesus wanted this woman to understand, what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. that You, you can never underestimate the value of making an eternal investment in a life. Of another person. Don't ever underestimate the value of making that personal, eternal, life on life investment in another person. And and that may be the question today. In fact, that is the question today I want you to think about is like, who is that for you? Who is it that God is putting on your heart to make a personal investment in? Chances are there's somebody in your circle, somebody in your life, somebody that God will or should or can or soon will put on your heart. And and the truth is, all they need is a phone call or a text. Hey, let's meet for coffee. Let's get together for lunch. And it's not that you have to sign up to be their full-time mentor or their life coach, but just come alongside them and have a conversation and see where you can encourage them. And the truth is, you just never know what hangs in the balance of your decision to make a personal investment in the life of another person. It may be somebody in this room. It may be somebody in our church, somebody. Parents, it may be your children. It may be a coworker. It may be a neighbor. It may be the three-year-old in the yard next door. You just don't know, but always living with this expectation and a heart that's wide open to God saying, who is it? Who is it that you want me to invest my life in today? Because you just never know what hangs in the balance of your decision to make that personal investment in the life of another person. This is what we're called to do as a church. To make these kinds of investments. The truth is, you know the truth. The research is out. We we all understand this. I'm not breaking news here. We live in a world that's never been more connected, but where people literally have never felt more alone. Who is it right now? That you could come alongside in their aloneness, maybe in their shame, maybe they feel like an outcast, but they need someone to come alongside them and encourage them and make that investment in their life. Just like, oh, by the way, somebody probably has done for you somewhere along your way. Church, if you would, let's stand. By the way, I want to share with you the rest of the story because this is pretty incredible. John says in the very next verse, verse 28, the woman, after, after Jesus said, I am the Messiah, the disciples show up, the woman is so excited, right? She, she literally leaves everything there at the well. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. In verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. I'd say that eternal investment Jesus made in her life that day yielded a huge return. And this is my prayer for us as a church. I mean, I pray that we're good and wise financial stewards of, of the gifts God has given us, and I think we are even more than that I pray that we will be wise and thoughtful and good stewards ready and willing to make personal investments eternal investments in the lives of other people and it's my prayer that many people will come to know that Jesus is Lord because of our testimony because we believe in the power of love and friendship we're striving for that beloved community We're longing to be the church, people who are willing to go out of our way. We're we're not making decisions based on what we need to do or what the world says we we, got to do next. This is what we have to do because this is our mission. We're called to make life on life eternal investments in each other's lives for the glory of God. That's my prayer today. I I pray that you will think pray about who is it that God is putting on your heart to make that eternal investment in their life.